Hey everyone, welcome back to Nah, Absolutely Not. If you missed the last two episodes, we have been talking about our top five scariest movies or scariest movie moments. Yeah, so on our last episode, we talked about Audition by Takashi Miike. Um, and then we went on to James Cameron's 1986 Aliens. Um, we talked about feminist archetypes and Sharon's first girl crush with Ripley. Mm-hmm. And we have learned, as you all should know, that children and partners in scary movies are always a liability. So, I mean, if the world's going to end, choose what you want to do. But it's better to be free. For goodness Preferably sake. with a horse or small dog that you can take to carry your things. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, a little <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> Go back and look at the description of this episode wherever you listen to our podcast. And if you have not viewed these films, go watch them. They're super cool. I think you'll enjoy them. And I will say that a lot of these got some good ratings, even though Tamar doesn't care about the Rotten Tomatoes score. I don't care about those. I know you don't, but it was it was kind of cool to know. Um, so go back and take a look. Um, and if you choose not to, you have been warned. There will be spoilers ahead. Yes. All right. So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get in episode three. The movie I have on my list next is Sinister. 2012, Ethan Hawke. Um, a movie I that I Ethan really... Hawk was not on top of my list. Like it wasn't on my radar to watch. And I think it had been out for some time before I even looked at it. Um, And it turned out to be one of my scariest movies because something is very frightening about not being able to track an entity and not being able to figure out a solution to solve for what the problem is. And so if you haven't seen it, it's a movie that's worth watching and you should turn off this podcast because go watch it and then come back. But Ethan Hawke is this kind of 15 minutes of fame over author. And he's written this book already and got so popular, but he's not written anything since it's been as popular. And so he's trying to rediscover his passion and get the same kind of acclaim that he got in a prior book. And so he moves his family into a house where an entire family was murdered, except for one person, a small child who ended up missing. And he does not tell his family this, his wife, his two kids. He doesn't tell them. Bastard for that. That was, and, and he, he does this kind of like bullshit answer because they're moving into the house and the sheriff shows up because the sheriff doesn't like this prior book that he writ- he wrote because it kind of puts the police department in a bad light and she's looking at the sheriff while they're moving boxes in and she says something to the effect of oh my god don't tell me we didn't move um two doors down from a murder house like last time and he's like no of course not and she's like thank god because i can't go through that but he doesn't say we're living in the murder house and even when she finds out they're living in a murder house, his BS answer is like, they didn't die in the house. They died in the backyard. And I was just like, <laughs> I would leave you now. How dare you? Like the bullshit is off the meter. So his his passion for getting this story is overwhelming his sense as a respected husband and father, etc. So the story goes, there's this film or can't remember if this is the film, but there's a newspaper story of these, this family of one, two, three, four, five, five, I think, um, gets hanged from this tree and the youngest daughter, Stephanie is missing and no one can ever find her. And so he's going in the house to figure out what this story is. And he's kind of like snarky about it saying like, you know, when police say that there's nothing to find here, that just means that haven't look hard enough or whatever he says, that's kind of like a, some shady ass comment. And so he's watching the super eight film of this murder goes to the attic and he finds this in his empty ass attic in his new house. There's just this box of other super eight films with things like, pool party and beach day and he's like all these are family films and then he starts watching the films and he realizes these are other families that have all died in weird fucking ways and there's one child that's always missing the whole family's dead but one child is missing so pool party 
it's kind of jacked up because they show this family gathering in their backyard. They're at a pool party. Everyone's having fun. And then the scene cuts and flips. And you see them all tied to these lawn chairs, except for the youngest one. And one by one, they're dragged back from the lawn chair into the pool. And they just drown. And I was just like, oh, that's real fucked up. There's a scene where you see this family um, at the beach and they're, the dad's at the car and they're like having a good beach day and then they get back into the car and then the scene flips and you see them all tied up and chained up in the car and the car is being set on fire and they're burned alive. And there's a lot of those. And then the one scene that's super jacked up is you see this family in the house and they're all watching TV and they're having like family night. You know, you sit on a couch together as family. You just watch TV. And then it flashes to a lawnmower at night in the rain going across the yard. And you're just like, but why would you be out at night in the rain trying to get your lawn as even as possible? And it's going on for like long enough that you're kind of getting like, what is this? Like, what? what is this lawnmower thing? And then all of a sudden, someone's face just pops up under the lawnmower. Like he's rolling over and it's just like, oh, fuck. Like it's just jacked up. And in each of these Super 8 movies, and I couldn't tell if it's because he had been watching the movie so much that he was now part, he was going to be the next person on the list. Their family was in line for this. He sees this feature, this character. And I think the character's name is called Mr. Boogie. I think they call him Mr. Boogie or something like that. And he's in every scene. In the pool party one, he's in the pool. In one of the scenes, he's like behind the curtain. There's one scene where they're all drugged up in the bed. And then someone's just like slid in throats. And it's just like, what the hell is this movie right now? Like, why do we keep watching these films? And so Ethan Hawke is finding out that all of these families are connected because... The family that was killed there used to live in the house of the family that killed got killed before. And they just moved from house to house. And this thing is following them. And there's this one scene. There's a couple scenes. There's one where his son, Trevor, starts having these night terrors. And he's in one of the moving box and screaming and bending out backwards. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, again, liability. Why do these kids <laughs> have to, like, could you... Just stop. Just stop with the nonsense right now. He's like out in the in the, in the bushes. His face is hiding out in the bushes. He's bending backwards out of the box and screaming into the night. And I'm just like, yo, there's enough creepiness happening. We don't need this extra stuff. And then there's a scene where um, his daughter, Ashley, who's been allowed to paint on her walls in her room, is sitting there laying in bed looking at the wall and Ethan Hawke's closing the door because he thinks she's safe. And she's actually looking at the ghost of the girl that went missing and her face is all jacked up. Um, so there's this one scene where Ethan Hawke is out because he's seen all these films. And for some reason, the films keep playing by themselves. Even when he's not in the room, they just spin up and start playing. And he's walking through the house and all these little ghost kids are running through the house behind him in slow motion. Like they're looking at him, they're interacting with him and he doesn't see them, but they see him. And I'm just like, I feel like we should just leave. <laughs> like, can we just move? And then there's another scene where he is in the attic and he falls through the attic uh, floor and he hurts himself and on one of the videos that starts playing, it shows the scene where someone looks like they're filming him on Super 8 in the attic falling through the floor, but there was never anyone up there. But in that scene, you see all these little hands on his shoulder, kind of like making him fall. And I think it's the little ghost children. And then he goes up to the attic again, because why not? Let's just keep going to the place that has the creepiest feeling. And he goes up there and then he finally sees all the little ghost children. They're just sitting there watching the super eight of Mr. Boogie coming. Um, and then they all just look at him. They're like, shh. And he does this like little shush finger in face where you're just like, shh, be quiet. Look, it's happening. And he's just like, nah, this is fucked up. We should like burn these films and we should get out of here. And I'm like, at that point it's too late. We all going to die. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So, there's a couple of scenes in there where I'm just like, 
you're not going to win this because I think the deputy tells him like, if what you're saying is true about every family who's been killed being in the house before, then you've put yourself right in that timeline. Like you've interrupted the timeline and you put yourself in danger. And he's just like, Oh, whoa, well, no, but Oh, and so. Yep. Um, He doesn't make it. You don't see the rest of the family, but you know, they don't make it, but it turns out that the kids are the one being influenced by Mr. Boogie to kill their family. So the little lawnmowers driven by the little boy, the, um, Girl Stephanie did the tree hanging with the rest of her family. I don't know how she got that strength, but they, for some reason they did it. The car being set on fire was done by their little boy. And then you see his daughter, Ashley, who's at the end and he's all tied up and his mouth's all taped up and she's got this ax and she's about to just like, it's the end of you. And she's like, I know you wanted to be famous and now you're going to get your wish. And I was just like, oh, you're about to die. Oh, well, that's unfortunate for you. Um, so that whole movie was just like a nightmare, <laughs> nightmare fuel. And I get annoyed at movies where, A, you don't tell your whole family the entire story. Like, yo, we here. It's creepy. Because we could have avoided all this and moved down the street two doors if that's how it's going to be. And then you try to leave. And then the cop stops you. So you go back to the house. I'm like, just keep leaving. Like, we don't have to come back to this house. Why are we coming back? And then the end where you can't escape. Like you don't have enough information to get out of the situation you're in. Instead, you've embedded yourself so into that scenario that the end result is you have to die. So that is well, my- no, but remember, he leaves, he leaves the house. They go back to their old house. Now there's two houses that are jacked up. But he it's followed him now. It's too late. You can't it's, his you can't- it's all his fault. Dumbass. Jim. He's a Jim. Dumbass. Classic bad name. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't give Jim as a bad name. <laughs> we can't. Classic Jim. <laughs> I don't even know who. I. 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 Anyway, um, I. I as, as I was taking notes on this film, mind you, I have seen this movie so many times. I have, <clears throat> but what makes me laugh about this movie is that. Every time I watch it, I feel like I never watched it because it's one of those films that you actually don't really remember all the aspects of it. Like I did, I remember, I mean, I remember the movie, but I've watched it so many times and every time I'm like, oh yeah. And mm-hmm. and the first thing that always comes to my head is creepy fucking kids, man. The, the part where he's like walking in normal motion through the house and the kids are like all in slow motion running at him or just looking at him all close in his face and he doesn't see them. I was just like, nah, I can't do it. <laughs> why? Why do you always have to move into the fucking murder house? Like, why do you have to be in the space? You don't have to. You can be down the road. And why are there never any black people in episodes of like a murder house? Like black people don't move into murder houses. Because I'm sorry. we don't move like, into murder houses. That's not our jam. Like you can just hear is- like, hey, I think two people died here. Okay, guess that's off the market for me. I'm gonna keep moving. Why chance it? Seriously, like black people don't move into murder house. Like they just don't do it. Like we could be into all the things, but we are like, I'm not living in your creepy fucking house. Um, but those kids. I do have a thing for creepy fucking kids. Like you like it or it's scarier when it's kids. It's scarier to me because like, I don't know. Like when they're creepy like that, it's just, there's, there's a whole nother element that just makes you like, Oh man. Like, like because they look like you couldn't get hurt by them. And then they're doing some dark dastardly shit. And that is scary. Like that I feel is like I could punch two kids and be fine. Like if that's what it takes to get out of this damn murder house, I will punch and kick a child. I don't care. <laughs> I don't I care. Mean, yeah. You coming I mean, at me. Okay. You come at me with an ax or you come with the creepy face or you bending out the box. I might've been like, ha ah! And it would have been <laughs> two punches in before I'm like, Oh my God, Trevor, is that you? I, I did not know. I am so sorry. <laughs> you gotta get your nightmares under control. Cause I am freaked out in this house. You know, I have to tell you though. So, you know, I I love true crime, and 
and again, I've watched Sinister a bunch of times. And so it was kind of cool to like watch it again, like with new eyes and like, you know, just, you know, tracking those, you know, the, the moments that I wanted to talk to you about. And there was a moment where I was like, wait a minute, maybe the deputy is somehow like a creepy dude. Right. Cause I almost like, well, um, not, okay. there was just this, there's a moment in there where again, it's your brain trying to, at least my brain trying to like make stuff predictable that I know. Right. Like, like trying to be, I mean, cause I watch so much horror, right. I listen to so much true crime. I'm always like in the beginning of the story, when I first hear it, I'm always like, Oh, it must've definitely been, you know, the, you know, this person or that person, or it was definitely the husband who did whatever. And so there was a moment when I'm watching it and I was like, maybe. And then I was like, I was like, I wonder if the deputy's actually kind of shady. And then I was like thinking, Oh, wait a minute. What if he was like one of the kids? And then I was like, and, and cause again, I hadn't seen this movie in uh, forever, but I had watched mm-hmm. it many times before. And I was like, Oh God, yes, it's that damn freaking man, like that crazy looking dude that you see in the symbol. Like, oh my God. And I was just like, oh, and the kids are so creepy. Like every single one of those kids. Oh, I, okay, yeah. No, I was not feeling that at all. I think the but- deputy was really set up to be like disbelieved. Because they tried to make him seem like he was stupid. And I was like, I don't think he's stupid. I think he's just a realist that believes in paranormal things. And yeah, he was a fan of the the, um, Elliot, I think is the guy's name of Elliot, the author. And he was like fanboying a little bit, but he wasn't dumb. He was like, I get what's going on here. I see that stuff is tied together, but I also believe that supernatural shit can happen. And it made you try to disbelieve his credibility to keep this storyline going where it's kind of like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think that just kept things spinning more than it should. But I I never got the sense that they were involved. I got the sense that it was a mystery that he really wanted to solve. And he was like, I can't figure this out either. And he was so invested in like, Ooh, first of all, my, my favorite author is writing this new story. And it's about something that I'm really invested in because it never got solved. And I really want to know more. And he just wanted to be so involved. And this dude was so bent on being the solver and the only one who did this and keeping everyone else in the dark so that it didn't destroy what he was trying to do to the detriment of everybody in that house. Like everybody ended up dying. They don't show it, but you just like every other family died. And I feel like same here. So interesting. Um, the day, um, the, the, the sheriff's character, what was the sheriff's name in this movie or the deputy? Uh, oh, I don't remember. But he's the deputy Dewey of of Scream franchise. Like like that's kind of how they, you know, how it kind of started. Like like he he kind of has that that character that caricature. And then and then I thought well, maybe he's like something else in there. But what I do love about this no, film, he doesn't. Is- <laughs> oh, you know what his name was in the movie? It was Deputy So and So. That's why I didn't remember because he kept calling him Deputy So and So, right? And he never had a name. Oh, right. Remember he wrote it down, deputy so-and-so? That, right. That's, that's why I couldn't remember. Well, what's also interesting... Well, so, okay. So, I love this movie. And, again, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, God, I always like this movie. Like, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, I love Ethan Hawke for the horror genre because he just does a great job. And there's a scene where he's watching the, the, the super eight and he gets scared and he looks so for real scared. Like he does like a, like, like, you know, like a whole like, Oh shit moment. It was the lawnmower one. Cause he was just like, fuck that. Whatever that is. He said, nah, absolutely not. He was like, no, no, no. And he was like, he was like, and we're done. Like, I'm getting my shit and we are packing up. And like, he totally had an absolutely not moment. It was so great. He was like, we're done. And the wife was like, but, but, but honey. And he was like, nope, mm -mm, mm -mm, nope, mm -mm, get your shit. Let's go get the kids out. Get the um, hell up out of this house, and I was just like, "There's this other scene. There's a lot of little like background stuff that happens too that 
you don't really catch on to, but I think the moment where he was really in the line of whatever was about to happen was there was, there is um, the scene where he's looking at a picture or something and he has this frozen image of Mr. Boogie on his computer in the background. Right. And he's not looking at it. Like it's just behind him while he's studying whatever he's looking at. And then the face of Mr. Boogie just like turns and looks at him and then turns back and is just still again. On, and then he looks over and I was like, nah, bro, I feel like yeah. this is bad for you. <laughs> and I was like, this is now real for you. Like this, you're in it. This is it. And there's a couple of that. Like he saw he put he's looking at this picture and looking out the window and then he puts the picture down and Mr. Boogie's out in the bushes and I'm just like it's you can't get out now. This is it. I don't care how many people you zoom with about like what's this symbol? Who's this guy? Like it's too right. late. It's too late. You're not getting out. Well, it's interesting because you know Vincent D'Onofrio is also in this. I used to have such a crush on Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> right? Like, and and so the fact that he's in there, like, I love, I love horror movies like that. I love when yeah. big actors do scary movies because it's so like it, it almost validates the the genre in a lot of ways, right? Because people just don't take horror movies seriously. And so when you see like big actors do like scary shit, like it, it's, there's something about it that just makes you like, Oh, I love that. Right. So that was like, yeah. I like a little, a gift in that movie. Um, but, uh, Oh, I like how you favorite. phrase that. That is like a little gift. Cause you're just like, Oh my God, it's Vincent. Cause he was on the zoom and I was like, Vincent. Yeah. What seriously. Here? Right. Like, and he's like working for him and he was like, yo, like, He's like, sir, what exactly are you saying, sir? All right. Like, like, like I loved it. Um, and that was actually in part of my, my notes. It's like, you know, you've got like some good actors that were in there. So that made this mm -hmm. a, you know, a gift. But I kept, again, back to my brain, wanting to classify the things, like like putting it in compartment. And, and it, that's really interesting. Like, I'd like to be trying to change that because I'm almost looking for predictability because I feel like I know, right? Like, I mean, like you watch horror, so there's like a certain level of predictability. So when you do have those moments where it's not what you think it is, it is, it is, it's, it's cool. Um, but I, but like, like I said, you, what, doesn't it, it keeps you desensitized because yeah. I mean, I can watch a lot of horror movies and I could predict them. And it, it now at this age, like as many movies as I've watched, it takes a lot for me to be like, mm, that's scary. Like I really have to have like the atmosphere for it. And if I fix my mind to be like, I need to figure this out, then that scare factor goes away. And then what do you have? Like the, I think the fun of it is gone where you're just what? like, you can't feel scared and safe at the same time. You're like, Ooh, that was crazy for y'all. Not for me. Just like with the shamrock mask. I'm just like, mm, never happened to me, but that sucks for you. <laughs> like you can take yourself out of it, but you can right. kind of still feel the fright of like, Oh my God, this is awful for whatever's happening right now. Right. No, totally. Um, I, 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 I in my notes, I wrote, um, uh, I wrote that this was a good feel like I called it a scary snack. It was a scary snack for me like because it's, <laughs> it's a scary snack. Cause it wasn't like a full on like whole, like two hour, you know, like this. Yeah. Whole thing. Like, um, God, there was one movie you had me watch and I was like, dang, this movie's hell. Oh, I saw the devil, which we'll talk about, but that was like long. I was like, God dang, a long ass movie. And it just, it just doesn't end. That's that's the the only thing if you're not into long movies and you want to be short then most korean movies are fairly long like that's the standard i think japanese movies are pretty long too they're not at our standard it's like an hour and a half you're in and out you're done it's more like it's a more of a build-up to the story so there's something to be said for both of those but if you're thinking like how you were saying earlier like subtitles and you have to really be committed to watching it and seeing it then it does seem like it's it may be more work to get to what you want than like it's American a commitment yeah. it's a commitment you're gonna sit there and you're like i'm gonna commit this amount of time mm -hmm. and i'm gonna be fully 100 engaged and 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 that that to me is 
a gift because we just run so differently. Time is very different now. The way we process time, I think for, for so many people, there's so many things crammed into a day Mm-hmm. We, we're we're over scheduled, and so to have like that moment where you're just like zoned out, it just seems so few and far in between. Um, but I really I classified sinister as a scary snack because I was like, good, fun, scary, paranormal, demonic feeling, like the creepy, like it had all the good elements yeah. that make like a very formulaic good scary flick. I appreciated yep. it. Yep. And then, of course, I was like, okay, now I want to watch Sinister 2. <laughs> oh, yes. I didn't put that one on my list because part twos are really hard for me to be like, mm, you're just as good as the first one. But it's, I think it's worth watching. I, you, you understand from Sinister, like, what to expect now. And I don't think when I first watched Sinister, I really knew what to expect. Like, it right. never was explained, like, how is Mr. Boogie like hypnotizing these kids to do these murders and then taking them to what? Some other realm? Like where yeah, are they where going? They go? Where are they live? Like where, like, are they, like, are they dead? Does he eat them? Like, and they're just spirits. Yeah. Like what happens to the kids? Yeah. So That's I like things that are unexplained. I do enjoy things that, that, well, you call him the hero, even though he was just like a crappy dad and husband. But it's like the hero doesn't win. He doesn't. And I think that was a new turn in movies recently with more modern ones where the hero doesn't always win. And I kind of like that. I like where it's more real. And it's like the good guys sometimes get screwed over and it is what it is. And now you're just left with this feeling like, ah. Now Mr. Boogie's gonna travel to the next place. It's <laughs> like, what's gonna happen? But that is so very much like in our our psyche of having some sort of a happy ending. Like I am very much, and that could even I think that could even be very interesting just on our age difference alone, right? Like I am used to movies where there is a happy ending, and unfortunately, like we know in real life, like there are a lot of things that never get settled. They yeah, never yeah. feel, they never come to com- like, feel like there's a completion that always feels satisfying. You know, I was talking to a um, detective friend of mine or a former police law enforcement officer who's in a bunch of different things in, in law enforcement, like, you know, SWAT, DEA, like all kinds of stuff, like, you know, drug enforcement. And he's like, we were having a conversation about like solving murders. And I'm like, no, your murders. I mean, and I know like, a lot of you know, murders don't get solved. I get that. But he was like, no, it's, you could absolutely get away with murder because if there's no body, you can't be, you know, how are they going to prosecute you? Right. It's very difficult to do. He's like, and there's a lot of missing people out. There's a lot of disappearances. Yep. And, and when he said that, I was like, Oh God, like there is no happy ending. And then that is really indicative of, I mean, I am forever like an optimist person. Like I'm forever like looking at You really are. It comes to you for like all the good versions of things. (laughs) Right? Like I'm always like, well, it's pretty much shit down here. So let's just look up to the sky for the blue. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, like, like when he said that, I was like, oh, damn, that's facts. Right. And, you know, I have a family member that, you know, suffered from an illness that was, um, you know, pretty bad. And, and, and like, you know, in my mind, like I thought that a doctor would be able to solve the problem. And when the doctor couldn't figure out what the issue was right away, my brain couldn't process it. I was like, I don't understand how that works. Like, I don't get how you're a doctor and you can't figure out what the hell the problem is. And it very much is one of those things where I'm like, but here's the problem we should be able to work through to an outcome and eventually they did figure out what they think the issue was and what the likely cause was. And so that's where this illness landed. But then speaking to a surgeon, you know, friend of, of the family, he basically said, a lot of times it's just us trying to lock on to something, right? Like lock on to you're just guessing what, at some point, right? Like these things most match what you're feeling. Right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's an interesting, um, an interesting viewpoint that 
uh, like there's not always going to be on the Disney where the hero always wins and the good guy is always, you know, on top and the evil is always down. And I think it's more realistic because it's like people like, oh, karma will get you in the end. I'm like, most of the times it won't. It really doesn't because if that was the case, the world would be real different. And so I guess some of the fantasy of like overcoming the obstacle is lost in the new way that things are filmed but a part of it speaks to the scare factor of being unsettling that it's real like now you're dead and there's no answer and now you're one of the missing people and who's going to solve it nobody no one will ever believe that something came out of a super 8 film or that your kid killed you and now she's missing and she's in the world of mr boogie with the rest of these other kids like who would ever believe that so it's just an unknown and you were just a blip and now you're gone so i think that lends more to the fear aspect than if he had overcome everything they got out their house is great now there's no other problems trevor's still bending out the box because that night terror thing i don't know when that was going to happen but um, I'm t- I, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to, Am I not supposed to say it But had he bent out It's nighttime, And I don't know what's going on And he hasn't had night terrors in a while And he's screaming out the box backwards I would have kicked him in the head Like oh what is it Oh my god it's my son I'm so sorry boo <laughs> My bad <laughs> But yes I'm going to tell you, as a parent, as a parent, there have been moments where our kids are wilding out and my husband and I have sat there and looked at each other like, what are we going to do? Like, what do we do in this moment? And it is so funny because like after the moment is like settled, like we're both sitting there like, what the hell was that? Like, you don't have the answers, right? So, like, if Josh... Ron, if somebody bend out the box in the dark and you kick them, I'm not going to fault you. I'm going to be like, you didn't know what was happening. (laughs) Put some Robitussin on it. Hope it feel better. Right, <laughs> Here, Trevor, take some Tussin. Get <laughs> some Tussin, boo. <laughs> Jay, get the Tussin. <laughs> Jay, Trevor needs Tussin. <laughs> tussin. Um, um, okay. I think they right. actually changed the name to Tussin. I think it's actually called Tussin. I, I say Robitussin, but in my head, it was like Tussin. Just get well, the Tussin. It's it was Robitussin for years, and now they've changed the name. And I think it says on the bottle Tussin. I don't think it's Robitussin anymore. That's all we call it. It's it's the Tussin. All right. So this this is the end of part one, right? I know. Um, I hope everyone listening enjoyed it. I absolutely adore this whole thing where I get to talk to someone who (laughs) loves horror movies as much as I do, and we get to watch and dissect and kind of I don't know qualify our feelings on some of these things and see different Absolutely. All right. So, for me, top 5 scariest movies of all time, we are going to go with Poltergeist. Oh, we need drum roll. Oh, yeah, where's my drum roll? <laughs> or, or spooky music. Ooh, okay, no. Okay. Um <laughs> Poltergeist from 1982. So, y'all, I was little when this movie came out. And so I had this friend when I was growing up, and um, her her dad worked for IBM, and he was an executive. And it was actually really cool because, you know, it was a black family in the suburbs where we grew up. And he they were, like, the wealthy black family that had, like, all the super cool stuff. Like, he had a Corvette, right? Like... And so they had Poltergeist on Laserdisc. So this is like one of the early Laserdiscs. I'm sorry, you said Laserdisc. Laserdisc. Yeah. So like there was VHS, right? It was like the VHS. I like how you want to explain it. Just say it's like vinyl, only it's shiny and it goes into the machine because it's gigantic. Absolutely. And but keep in mind, like that was like like everybody was like, ooh. Like, yeah, that was the that was a jam for like a brief moment. It went in, it went so fast that technology, and then it was just like we're not doing that anymore. It's like, oh, oh yeah, okay. and they had the giant TV screen too. Like they had the big giant like projector screen. So I saw Poltergeist at that family's house. Like that was like the first time I watched it. Um, and my absolute favorite 
favorite genre of horror is the paranormal supernatural stuff. I love ghosty ghoulies. I, you know, I believe in ghosts. I'm just going to say it. I believe in ghosts. People think I'm crazy, but I totally believe in ghosts. I've had some spooky experiences. And so I believe in the spirit energy. So poltergeist just spoke to me and it spoke to me at a very young age where I was like, okay, that shit's real. Like it's real and it could happen. <laughs> now looking back at the special effects, like you would think <laughs> that. No, that it's, no, it's not like what is scary now. It's like, what was scary when you saw it at that time? And I think, I mean, for its its time and even some of the scenes today, it still holds up. Yeah, so uh, it, it really does. And so like, so a brief synopsis is that, you know, there is a real estate developer play who moves into this beautiful new home. Um, and I, another favorite thing I have to tell you guys that I absolutely love is um, watching movies from the 80s, like the ETs and all those movies and the houses that they were in because my brain now will always go to, you know, oh, that house is probably worth this amount of money right now. And God, I wish I had that house every time. So, um, so uh, the, the dad, um, Steve, who's played by Craig T. Nelson, and you guys probably remember Craig T. Nelson from like different TV shows in the 80s. I'm coach. Coach, doesn't say coach, yeah. So he's a, uh, he's a real estate, um, he works in real estate, and he's helping to sell all these homes in this beautiful development. And he brings his very nuclear family into this development, and they have, like, probably the best home on the block, right? Because it's always, like, they got the special deal kind of guy. Um, and it's one of those houses where, like, the neighborhood's all built up, but then they have, like, the extra good one, and they're putting a pool in, which the pool will come into play um, in later episodes <laughs> or in a later in later scenes. And so he moves his beautiful family, the, the two, you know, the wife, the kid, the three kids and the dog into this, this house and, and everything is great in sunny California, for California, California. That this, is probably also another place, California. That's where I'm moving. Cal so like, I'm going to California. Um, and the development is called Cuesta Verde, which if you are from California, you know, there are so many developments named just like that. Rancho Verde, you know, Siesta Verde. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> and, and of course, all that green is fake as hell because we ain't got no water in California, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> that's the real um, scary part. That's the that's like the real horror show for sure. Um, anyway, so he moves his beautiful family into this home, and um, everything seems like it's going great. Um, and they have this beautiful little girl um, by the name of Carol Ann. She is the youngest child, and Carol Ann. You know, I often quote lines from this movie in my real life, so. Sometimes you'll hear me just walk around and go, Carolyn. <laughs> Carolyn is 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 touched. She is one of the. She has um, sort of like uh, insight into um, like she's got a sixth sense, and she and, and they don't know this before moving into this this home. But I mean, looking at the other two children, it very predictably. Um, gives like this air of this beautiful angelic child who does not seem of this world in some res you know respects. Um, it's a very Steven Spielberg like storyline, right? Like there's always like the one kid that seems magical, right? Um, so they move into the house. Carolyn is starting to like you know randomly like look at the TV and start talking to it, <laughs> and she's like you know, talking to the wall, like she's just doing all these creepy things. And the family's like, like, honey, who are you talking to? Right. And, and, you know, the middle child, the brother, Robbie, Robbie is, you know, that very, you know, stereotypical, you know, middle child who is, you know, terrorizes you about middle children, Sharon. Why don't you just say it? Y'all are weird. No, I'm kidding. No, I first of all, weird. yes. Congratulations, and you're welcome. <laughs> I do not think male children are weird. I actually love middle children. Um, 
I, you know, I mean, I kind of just am like, okay, it is what it is. Like there's, there's just always that dynamic. Anyway, Robbie and Caroline are very close. Um, Robbie kind of sees things going on, but he's protective of his little sister. Um, and the older sister, um, God, what was her name? Um, Dana, 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 um, Dana is, she's like the, like this character that's never there. Like I think the whole total of the movie, she's probably, um, in the movie, a total of maybe like seven or eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. I think she's around, but she's not, she's not the focus of whatever's happening in that house at all. At all. Like she just kind of comes in like to every scene and is always like, what's happening. And then she's gone or mom. And you know, like that, like that's like her whole, like the whole total of her experience, which is interesting because the other two children have a big role in the film. Um, so they start experiencing like these weird, like happenings around the house. And at first it's, it's, it's like a novelty and it kind of seems really cool to everyone. Um, and then it goes dark really fast. Right. And so now they realize that there is some dark ass shit that's going on in this house. And there are spirits that, as it ends up turning out again, spoiler alert that they are this, this, this development was built on a ancient Indian burial ground. Wait, and, but I don't think they ever said that. They do. Did they really? Did I yeah, miss they, it? Cause he they, said there was a grave yard site, but he never. Okay. Maybe I missed it. No, no, go ahead. Okay, now we have to go back because I swear he was like, he's like, I think he talked because I think he says, uh, yeah, we just relocated the bodies. Yeah, he says that they they moved the graves, and he really only moved the headstones, but they never alluded to like whether it was like First Nations people or, or Native American. He never, I don't think he ever alluded to that because I was waiting for it because that was my my supposition the entire time and maybe it was in there somewhere and I just missed it. Now maybe, maybe, maybe that's an urban legend. Cause I always thought it too. I'm but maybe on my research to research after, but yes, let's assume that it was. Okay. I'm actually looking at a synopsis and it says that it's just a cemetery. But I seem to remember, maybe I think, maybe, um, maybe, now I have to go back and look, but maybe it's just like a blip in there that's not really it. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're trying to figure out what the real issue is. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so as they're experiencing all this like stuff that's really creepy, um, Carol Ann basically <laughs> disappears into the closet, into this nether realm. But what's cool about like this movie is that the whole time, like this creepy stuff is happening, very normal objects become sinister, which is like fantastic, right? Because if you're a Harry Potter fan and you think about the, the Whomping Willow tree, like the tree that Robbie gets sucked into is very much like that. Like, like you can see the evolution into where we are. It's like a tree and Robbie gets sucked into the tree. Like I've never been terrified of a tree at, at, up until that point. I don't think trees ever even scared me, but now I can like walk around and see a tree, but like, that tree looks creepy as hell. Right? Like, I don't know what's going on with that tree, but it's creepy. Um, my forever fear of clowns, which I know we are going to have to do a full episode on clowns because clowns terrify the ever loving. I don't get them. the clown thing. I, I need someone explain it to me. So yes, that has to be an episode because I've never, even when it came out, I was just like, I don't know what this thing is because I read the book, but it's got the the costume of a clown on it, but it is not a clown. But the clown is supposed to be scary entity and i was like i don't know i grew up with bozo the clown um from chicago illinois and i was kind of like i thought clowns were supposed to be funny and kind of goofy so the two didn't make sense but the fact that the clown is a doll dolls as scary entities not you know that that'll get me 1982 so at that point i was 
I'll just say I was 10. You were just a peanut. <laughs> right? I was 10. That freaking clown puppet thing? Oh, hell no. I remember watching that very clearly and being like, I would never have that fucking doll in my room. Like, I remember that so clear. Like, the TV didn't freak me out. The tree was terrifying, but that did not have the same effect as the clown. The clown for me was like, uh uh-uh. And then to uh, maybe like two years later, read um, it for the first time, because I was young when I started reading Stephen King books. Again, um, Generation X parents that had latchkey kids and left to your own devices. I I as mean, long as you were reading, it was fine. <laughs> basically, right? Like at this point, I'm surprised I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> like, honestly. And, um, but yeah, I, I, the clown thing really scares me. And so those are some of my earliest memories of the freaking clown. And so that clown doll just, and I felt when Robbie was like trying to cover it up. <laughs> the blanket. That blanket, he was like, it's just staring at me. I don't like it. And I was like, why is it in your room if you hate it? Creepy fucking clown. Creepy fucking kids. Creepy fucking clown. Like, though, that is a real thing. So, um, the clown. So, yeah. So, the, so the, all these normal objects become really kind of sinister. And, and even when Diane is like playing with all the chairs, and, like the chairs like come back and they're set up like in this whole like formulation. And she's like, Oh God, like, you know what I mean? Like all these normal things can be really like give you the creeps, right? So is that not when you left your house, you see the chairs are stacking and you're just like, let me slide my child across the floor. Let's see how fun that is. And I was like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Oh girl, no, seriously. Like, because that's like, I think the very first thing that starts to happen. No, no. I think the first that, scene where is everyone when, is aware that something's wrong. That's the first thing. Exactly. Because like in the beginning, like you just see, I think the very first thing that you realize something's a mess is when Carol Ann is talking to the TV, but there's no context behind it. She's like, uh-huh. Yeah. My mama. You know, whatever she's saying. And you're just like, that's creepy, but whatever. But, you know, and then, and then the chairs and Diane's like, yo, like what's going on here? And she's like, this is so cool. I'm going to say it. And this is going to be part of, this is just so you all know, fair warning. This will be part of the podcast, but that has got to be some white people shit right there. (laughs) Cause I would have been. I want to disagree with you and my heart won't let me tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's investigate. Nope. Not. No, actually. the chair stacked. I feel like what more information do I need to put my stuff? I will be in the car and be like, hey, baby, guess what? We have the holiday in real quick. Um, I mean, you can go home if you want to, but the chairs are stacking. That's it. That kid was so excited. She put the helmet on the baby's head and was like, watch what that does to the baby. And then she kept asking him, like, you want to try? You want to try? You want to try? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm good. Steve said, no, absolutely not. I'm good, honey. (laughs) She's like, what, four or five years old? And she's like on there like, ah, look at, look at, look at, look what it's doing. Girl, she's like, can we have pepperoni pizza? One more time. Slide across the floor, baby. And I was just like, give the baby some pizza, get the helmet off her head, and get out of the house. Let's just leave. So as the creepy stuff is going down, um, it starts to get sinister, and then it takes Carol Ann. And then we bring in as they realize, okay, this is really bad. Like this is like, you know, we were not taking this very seriously. This is really bad. They call in a um, a medium to help them and her name is and she is the best character forever and ever and a day wait go from. back because first they brought in the parapsychologist oh that's right they bring in the team yeah. they bring in the Dr. team Lesh came in first and she could yes that's right like, that's right they bring in the I, oh my god and the fact that I can't even believe I missed that part because that was another creepy scene about bugs bugs with the god dang freaking maggots on the steak 
when the guy, like, cause like basically what's happening at this point is that they bring in these parapsychologists, they realize that something's going on. And so they just start to do like, like, you know, their ghost hunter stuff to figure out what the deal is. And, um, and I love, Oh God, what's the black guy's name who plays one of the, he's one of my favorite characters um, in everything. He's, is he Ryan? Is that Ryan? Or yes, Ryan. He's I the videographer. Him. Yes, he's a videographer. He is like, like he was so popular in movies in the eighties, and I always loved really? whenever I saw him. Yeah, my, my favorite part of him is like he gets to the house with Doctor Lesh, and he's like, "I've photographed some great things. There was a truck that took seventeen hours to move from seventeen inches." And then Steve's looking at him like, "Yeah, okay." Look Look at what's happening in the room. And he opened the door and shit is just spinning. Lights are going. And this dude is just like, what's going oh, on? This is for real, for real. Yeah. I was just like, but, I didn't know that he was like big back in the day. I think his name is Richard Lawson. Richard Lawson. And you know who he's married to right now? No. He is married to Beyonce's mom. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've seen him before. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh okay. I I didn't ma- match his his current face with his younger face. Yeah, I love that guy. Like he was in, like he's very like like reminiscent of like my childhood, like black people TV watching, right? Like he's so, got that, um, he's got that Billy D going on. You see, with the he hair does way, with a little gray on the end and that face, like hey, ladies. He totally does. I always loved um like that that act that 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 actor, um. But so it's funny because when um. Marty is like peeling his face off, like in the bathroom, like because now basically the investigators are experiencing all the creepy shit, and he's peeling his face off. And oh no, it wasn't steak; it was the um the chicken he was eating, right? Like he picked up a piece of chicken and was eating yeah. It. They were eating something, and he dropped it, it and it was chicken, like and he dropped it in the sink, and there was like maggots. I was like, see, it's the fucking bugs. Like if you add bugs to some shit, I'm automatically gonna bugs and clowns. What about bugs on creepy children dressed as clowns? Oh, that is the new horror genre. Let's do it. Oh my God. If you guys can see her face right now. Oh my God. That actually makes me want to cry. (laughs) That's it. That's the scare. It actually makes me want to cry. Like I am like my stomach hurts just thinking about all of that. Like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm back. (laughs) I had to like really clear my brain of it because I really don't like any of those things. Um, And so as they start to do like their investigative work, they're like, oh shit, this is real. And it's bigger than what we realize. And so they bring in Tangina who is like the, like she is like, royalty in the genre like First honestly all, best name of everybody pan gina <laughs> i just love her and her whole like i will i'm telling you guys i will still sometimes walk around and say carolyn carolyn just like tangina wait do you wait until the everything's put away and we go this house is clean <laughs> <laughs> This house is clean. clean. (laughs) She's such a fantastic character and she gives them advice to save beautiful little Carol Ann, right? Um, And 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 not to harp on it, but the best character name and the best real name, Zelda Rubenstein. Like, just have it all, lady. (laughs) Just winning every award, right? Like, she's winning. Um, but you know, as we like, look, this movie has a little bit of everything for me. Cause it, it was like, it was, it had paranormal. It had the ghost, which I love. It had, um, psychic ability, like able to like, like, you know, like you're, you know, Carol Ann is, is, is blessed and she's touched and, and, and the mom is, and then, you know, and as you go through later movies like it runs through that side of the family which i believe that i have psychic ability so that's a whole other episode we could talk about that one day 
But um, we're going to do a Sharon episode about UFOs and psychic abilities. And I feel like that is something (laughs) I want to look forward to. (laughs) I'm into it. It, it could be it could be a thing um anyway so it has all of those aspects to to the film and then and in my very gen x heart it there is somewhat of a happy ending right so they mm-hmm. you know as things are going crazy you know carol like tangina works with with diane the mother who is um is it Joe Beth Williams, who I just love. I, mm-hmm. Even when I see her in episodes of shows today, I am happy when I see her. She's the perfect movie TV mom for that job. Like she just embodies like that character. I don't know that I've ever seen her do any other character. Like she, or that has that same energy. Like her energy is always kind of like Diane. Maybe that's not great for her career. I don't know. I mean, maybe she's had a fantastic career, but in things that I've seen her in, I will always see her as, you know, Diane. Um, anyway, Diane, um, you know, saves Carol Ann and, you know, long story short, they, they end up, you know, defeating these spirits and the family's back together, but the, the buildup and all the scenes that make this movie so much fun. Um, it just, again, it's those mundane things. It's, it's the TV being creepy. It's the freaking clown. It's the closet, right? Like, you know, Carol Ann being sucked into the closet. It's, it's, uh, oh, remember the scene where, um, where, um, like when, when they've built the pool out. So there's the pool, like, you know, because again, they're, they're like trying to, you know, save their family and they're they're building a pool in their backyard and it's like muddy because there was like contractors back there building the pool and it's like now like this freak ass rainstorm comes up and then like diane is like slid into the pool and like all these bodies are pop i mean it seems like that that just make this movie so great for me and i could watch it today and still just be completely engrossed in all those moments right there, and there's moments in there where i'm like i feel like we're spending a lot of time screaming and not getting out of there like she's climbing and i was like for the love of god sh- i see the skeletons popping up through your pool through your mud pool but i feel like climbing up the deep side of the wall isn't going to get you where you want to be. So we're going to have to go up the shallow end and get the hell out of here and move on because our kids are kind of in danger right now and we got to get to moving. And but it I- wouldn't be a proper 80s film tomorrow if we didn't have like slightly gratuitous sex scenes where Diane looks kind of hot, like sleeping in the jersey. Basilly being pinned up pool. with her shirt coming up and you're just like, come on granny panties, do it. It's <laughs> just like Got it. Hey, Granny Panty's been getting women pregnant I, for I many, mean, many years. You don't need all that Victoria's <laughs> Secret. That's all it takes: some Granny Panties and a Jersey shirt, and let's bring it on. <laughs> well, you know, again, again, being young and watching these things and and like the things that influence you, um, I still to this day find a Granny Panties very sexy. On women, like on myself, like I feel pretty it's sexy the, wearing the Ripley, I mean, Diane. <laughs> or just, maybe, maybe I'm gay. No, <laughs> you can appreciate the female form and find things sexy. That I don't know if I went into Target and got the Fruit of the Loom specials, I'd be like, I feel like I'm not wearing them like Diane would, and maybe this is not for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> But I've always like found like a pair of like full bottom underwear. Like I find it somewhat and actually kind of going back to uh, the audition homegirl. Okay. So again, this is back to part one um, speak covering the audition, which is on tomorrow's list. Um, she's wearing the biggest pair of panties for her sexy night out. I have You're like half seen. the size of her body. Like, I'm just like, I guess like, that's just what you rock. <laughs> like, right? Like, and he was like, yeah, like I'm into it. Like, you know, 
Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with you? Okay. That's all for this episode, you guys. Um, We talked about Sinister um, and how I would punch many children (laughs) to get to safety. Please watch this episode so you have some context of what I'm talking about. And we also talked about Poltergeist. Diane on the ceiling with her big old granny panties and her jerseys. Um, always the haunted burial ground, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it was a really good episode. Please be sure to hug your liabilities extra tight. <laughs> All children will forever be known forthcoming as liabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that in Sinister, but that's just now what, like I read my kids and I'm like, hi, liabilities. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're like forever, mother. <laughs> forever. <laughs> Until the tables turn, then they're going to be like, mom, you're the liability. Um, but be sure to subscribe so that you could be the first to hear our next episode. Yeah. Right? So we're going to catch you on the next one. <laughs> or on the flip. On the flip. That's yes. what I want to say. On the flip. On the flip. Flippity flip. Yes. Is that too much? You made it so much worse than it could have been, <laughs> but I'm going to take it. <laughs> Because it's who you are. You changed. I'd be so sad. It's by Pollyanna. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, guys.